Hi, I'm Harini. Hi, I'm Camille. And this is The News Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to The News Channel. I'm joined with Anastasia again and today we've got a slightly different episode. This is the first time we've ever filmed an episode in person and we're going to be doing some Q&As about the last two episodes that we uploaded with Anastasia about sexual assault awareness. Um, Just to get into it straight away, we put up a poll on our Instagram and we got a few questions um, and we talked about this quite a lot in the last episode as well. But a common one was, have I been sexually assaulted? What's the definition? How do you know? I don't know. I think we talked about this a bit um, in the last episode and I think what kind of like struck a chord with me was when you explained like after a night out, like something happened and you were just like was this was this the case like was this a thing that happened to me and I think that that is something that probably a lot of girls go through yeah um or people um and I think that um it's something to be addressed because if if there's I think there's if there's ever a doubt in your mind Mm -hmm. if you even question it at all yeah the answer is most likely yes exactly yeah because you feel violated in some way Right. In the yeah. back of your mind, you know that something was wrong mm-hmm. and that you did feel either violated, harassed, not respected, whatever it was. Then the answer is most likely yes. Yeah. No. Um, I, and I think you should talk to somebody about it at least. Yeah. To get a second opinion. I think that's always good as well. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And we were talking about, yeah, the immediate aftermath being confusion, comparing yourself to other people. But yeah, you're right. I think that's a really good point. The whole feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you're right, you do know in your core if something is wrong. That if something is wrong. And then you do need to speak to someone. Yeah, yeah completely agree. True. I think there was a, a category of questions that kind of fell under immediate aftermath. So I'm going to ask all of them yeah. first, if that's all right. We'll do it chronologically. Yeah. To go back to your assault story, what was your immediate aftermath and what did you feel? I think that the most immediate reaction was sort of rejection. Yeah. Rejection of the subject rejection of what happened I kind of wanted to forget just block it out yeah block it out completely and I think that that's a really common reaction and I think that's also like just a tie back to right right what we were talking about before is because that's the first reaction it's why you tell yourself that whatever did happen that night Mm -hmm. in the club or wherever you were yeah uh that it wasn't the case you go oh no you know dismiss it dismiss it right Mm -hmm. and I think that's because like your first reaction is like to sort of look away shy away from from how you feel and forget that it ever happened because it's easier that way. Yeah. And I think that's definitely what I did. Um, but also I was like 13. So um, I think, yeah, I think that I became hyper aware of my body um, and how began to notice how other people viewed me mm-hmm. specifically like sexually. Yeah. Um, and even even when I literally I was 13 like that shouldn't have been on my mind at all yeah but I think it was more like the way I noticed the way that people talk about women and women's bodies and I noticed I noticed like just conversations like oh well huh like I started noticing there was something odd about it yeah yeah, and I couldn't place my finger on it just because I was so young right um and I think like that sort of consecutively led to like depression because I like I was in my head all the time yeah it's like thought after thought after thought and I couldn't get out of it Mm -hmm. and I think that I was for the weeks after 
I was sexually assaulted. I was highly depressed. Yeah. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to see my friends. I stayed in my room. I even remember like my stepsister saying like, you used to be this, you know, happy kid. Mm -hmm. Like you wanted to do arts and crafts with me. You wanted to like make silly bands or whatever it was at the time. Yeah. And and all of a sudden you wanted to throw away all your arts and crafts. You wanted to throw away all your paint mm -hmm. and you didn't want to do anything with me. Like you shut your door and you didn't talk to me at all. When she told me that, and this was after the first, she listened to the first episode, I didn't even notice that that was my reaction at all. And this is like, what, 10 years later? Literally. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that I remember I started having a severe eating disorder when I was about 14 so yeah. maybe like yeah about a year within a year after I was sexually assaulted and I think that it deeply impacted and that was because I was so deeply impacted mentally yeah and because I was so hyper aware of my body yeah I was hyper fixated on it um and I think that it having like being able to control what I was eating and the way that I looked was the only form of control that I had in my life regaining the narrative yeah yeah um, and I think that, um, I think, yeah, like bulimia, anorexia, depression, PTSD, these are all really, really common after effects symptoms of, of, of when you've been deeply traumatized in that way. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, you know, if anyone can relate to this, you know, I think that it's important to, to, to sort of in your mind trace back like a pinpoint because funny enough, like I, talked to my my mom a couple weeks ago yeah to sort of say you know I'm positive that all these things that happened years mm. after yeah I was sexually assaulted are all linked back to that one moment yeah of course there are other things you know that happen in life parents family like there's always something but this was really the turning point in my life yeah and I remember her saying something like we never really thought about it that way. Like we never thought, we just kind of thought, you know, you're growing up, mm -hmm. you know, you're facing life, you're facing society, you know, friends, school, like there's always, you know, things happening. Mm -hmm. And she never really assumed that it would be sort of a long lasting after effect yeah. of one particular moment. Yeah. And the thing is you were, because you were at such a young age, you were growing and you were changing up. Yeah. But it's also something that's so fundamentally changing. Yeah. How did you then go about you said at the beginning a, a thing that you felt immediately was was to dismiss it how did you when you had all of these you know periods of depression and the eating disorder how did you then go back and trace it back to then acknowledge that the root cause of all of that was the assault because I think that's quite difficult to do especially yeah. when you're suppressing those emotions so strongly that's true yeah I think that it's been like years of healing right yeah um and and it is really really tough to sort of drag yourself out of the midst of it and it is a it is a really big big sort of hurdle to jump over yeah to realize that you know these are all effects of one you know deeper deeper issue um and I don't know I think that what made me realize that it was that was whenever I spoke about this issue yeah whenever I think about this issue whenever I hear other people have experienced it whenever there's anything related to it mm -hmm. I almost 
digress back into this hole just a bit. Mm. I feel myself reverting back into bad eating habits, yeah. body shaming myself, inflicting self-misog- like misogynistic like habits. Mm. And so that's why I think that that was really the root because yeah. it triggers this reaction inside of me mm. that makes me kind of go back into that former Same state. Yeah. yeah. I think um, some of the questions really do link to that. Yeah, um, I think they do, yeah. I mean, some of the responses that people shared as questions were, why didn't I fight back? And mm. why did this happen to me? And you've touched on that, especially in the first episode that we did together, where your immediate response was like, why didn't I scream? Why didn't I fight back? Why didn't I do something? Yeah. Um, when when in that kind of state, you're like paralysed with fear and you, you don't know what to do. Yeah. I think the question of yeah why didn't I fight back why didn't I scream um I think it's a really really tough one and it's one that we shouldn't ask because it's not it's not our fault that we didn't scream that we didn't fight back no it makes you feel guilty about yourself you can't yeah put the blame we can't keep asking those questions of course because um in in that moment I you know it's funny I always thought about it as almost being hit by a car this isn't twilight (laughs) not someone's gonna come and like swoop in and stop the car you know it's a life or death situation like and you're always gonna think you know if the car is literally coming right at me in the middle of the road Mm -hmm. we all like to think that we'd jump right out of the way to save ourselves but I think that the most natural and human reaction is that we're going to be paralyzed by fear. You're just going to stop. Yeah, your yeah. body shuts down. We're, your body shuts down. And I think that's the same thing when you're in an instant where um, you're being sexually assaulted or you're being raped mm. um, or kidnapped for that matter, right? Mm. There's nothing that you can do because your your limbs give up. Literally, like your body is... Uh, your mind sends a signal to the rest of your body saying that, you know, that it's scared. And so you freeze. And so you can't say anything. You cannot scream. You cannot move. And I think it's so not counterintuitive, but in a sense that what society tells you, what your parents tell you to do, what your friends tell you to do, you know, kick, scream, hit, scratch whatever it is it's all really easy to say and imagine that you can do yeah but the reality is is that it's a lot tougher than it looks yeah and I think it also puts the the onus on on the victim defending themselves rather than the attacker for not attacking do you know what I mean very good point yeah yeah exactly but I do think that's really comforting advice to know that 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 is the natural response and so anyone who's asked that question mm. to us like it's not your fault yeah. um also um going back to the eating disorder um do you have any advice for dealing with the emotions behind the eating disorder you kind of touched on it before mm. about not dismissing those and learning to realize that, that the the assault was the core um but is there any other advice that you can share yeah i mean i think that developing an eating disorder whether it's related to sexual assault mm-hmm. or rape or yeah. a traumatic event or not the concept itself as we all know is about regaining control yes of one's life in yeah. some way or another yeah um and i think it's and this is also anybody yeah this is not necessarily about 
cis women or cis men like this can be anybody it's about what you feel inside and everyone at some point has lost control in some way in their life mm. um and I think that it's difficult because you can you can almost feel yourself falling down this hill yeah you start to eat less you lie to your friends about you know I'm just on a diet mm. it's only a couple of weeks um, you lie to your family about it. Um, you know, you 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 hide your eating habits. You know, you get up in the middle of the restaurant to go to the bathroom. You know, it can be anything. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's it's a battle between you and yourself because you know that that's what you're doing, but you can't help it. And I think that I mean. I wish I could speak better about it, but I think I'm still confronting it to this day because it's a mental battle. It's not a physical one. I think, and that's what people sort of think, you know, it's like almost like a disease, right? Like, you know, your body is slowly um, sort of digressing, like it's becoming thinner or whatever it is, um, shutting down. And so people always think, oh, you know, it's a physical illness, but it's not, it's a mental one. And I mean, I, I had really, really bad habits. And I remember I was about 15, maybe. It was probably like the height of my eating disorder. And I was, let's just say severely underweight, um, like at the point of hospitalization. Um, and I think I told my mom, like, I think I need to go to a clinic. Yeah. And I think she said something like, no, no, like, it's fine. You know, all girls go through this, you know. And then she sort of said, you know, I'll just start like making you better meals or like sit with you while you eat or. Mm. And I, I know that she was trying to help it in her own way. Yeah. But um, it kind of, I kind of felt ashamed, but also proud. Yeah. And that's the issue. Mm. You feel proud of yourself that you're physically achieving something yeah and I think that there's so many other ways to feel proud of yourself and so you know I think and you know we can sort of get into these other questions Harini about like the process of healing um I just to me this is just so heartbreaking every time we film these episodes I can feel like tears breaking in the back of my eyes because I don't understand how like Anyone who commits an act like that, they just don't understand. This is, we're talking 10 years later and it still has a, such a deep impact. Do you know what I mean? This is not something that just goes away or you can just fix. Like you said, it's a healing process yeah. that doesn't stop. Yeah. And it affects, oh, I just, it makes me so upset. I'm so sorry you went through that. But yeah, the healing process. I mean, people have asked, yeah. when will I be okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something you can definitely touch on because you've just said that you're still not and sometimes you do go back into that hole and those feelings and that little like yeah chamber of of really negative emotions that you felt in the immediate aftermath how do you kind of pull yourself out of that now I think like the question when will I be okay or even this one here how do I get over this mm -hmm. um I think that's honestly it's sort of an open-ended answer right yes <clears throat> When will I be okay? I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to be okay. Um, I don't know when I'm going to get over this. I think that's and scary.
I think it is, yeah. Because it's not only when am I going to get over the fact that I was sexually assaulted, it's when am I going to get over this eating disorder, you know, when am I going to get over this, like, need for control mm-hmm. of things? Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's an answer to that. But what I do know is when will I be okay? I'll be okay in the moments that I share with my friends. You know, I'll be okay in the moments that I'm with my loved ones and I'm with, you know, the family members that I care about. Yeah. I'll be okay when I'm, you know, sat outside in the sun, when I'm having a cup of coffee, um, when I'm, you know, uh, you know, just enjoying life. Um, and that won't be always. Yeah. But there are so many instances of that. Um, and I think, I mean, it's so easy to say, like, from hindsight, but um, that that you can really cherish those little moments and, and truly be okay in them. Um, but obviously, it's a lot of work to get to a stage where you can notice the good around you. Yeah. And I think even, even now, like, I'm in counseling, I'm in therapy, and, like, you know, my counselor has been like, you need to allow the good around you. You need to notice the good around you and let yourself notice it. Yeah. Because I think the same with this sort of trying to look away and forget, it's you convincing yourself that you're not okay, that you won't be okay, um, that you that you kind of actively want to push it away. And therefore, you you use every single instance that you presume is bad and use it to fuel that, like, I told you so. Mm. Of course it wasn't going to be fine, you know. And you're just getting into a spiral of negativity, yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think it's tough because some people can snap you out of it, but also you have to want to snap yourself out of it, right? Yeah. So. And how do you go about seeking help from other people? Because you've you've detailed feeling ashamed and embarrassed of it. You've also detailed... Mm. Yeah, how did you how did you go about seeking help? I mean, you said you're in therapy counseling now. You told you yeah. all your friends. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The first, the first person who I like, it, it, like that night yeah. that I could even like get a word through to mm-hmm. was actually my stepsister. Yeah, and she was there for me that night. Um, but I don't also I also don't know the same with my friends the same with everybody really like how much they could help I don't think anybody really knew how to deal with it yeah um but I do know that <clears throat> after that night I literally went to school the next morning and yeah. so I had to get in an uber mm. from my dad's house to my mom's house yeah and I remember arriving at my mom's house and just breaking down into tears and she I remember her hugging me really tightly and um that was the morning that the police had come to ask me what had happened um so I think it's not always so obvious that you can you know just tell the people around you um, because actually that could be like the hardest part, right? So I think it's not as obvious like as to who to tell or how to get help. Yeah. Um, because it is really, really tough. Um, but I I mean in my case, I felt comfortable enough to tell my mom. But also I think that's because I was so young and I actually didn't know exactly what had happened, right? Yeah. Um 
And so I, I remember, yeah, just explaining to her what had happened and telling the police who had come to my house that morning. Um, and I think that, you know, how to get help. I mean, it can, it can be from anybody really. Like if, if there's someone that you trust that you care about or that cares about you and, um, and you feel, you know, that you can be just like raw yourself with them. Yeah. I think that that that's an environment where you can tell somebody. I also think there's, I mean, it's different for everybody about like whether you want justice or not. Yeah. You know, that's also telling somebody another way, you know. Um, and it's also about healing. I think that for me personally, like obviously I told the police and there was an investigation and all these things happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the end he wasn't um he wasn't um like attained or put in jail. Like I don't think they ever found him. Yeah. And I think for me that's okay. I don't think I needed justice to be served for me to feel like I could move on. Yeah. But I think that there's a lot of cases where that is entirely the case, that justice needs to be served. Someone needs to see them in handcuffs, yep. in jail, yep. for, for them to feel safe. Yeah. And I think that's also entirely valid. I think that, you know, it is, there's a lot of value in speaking to somebody about it. Yeah. And who that somebody is, is, you know, for you to decide. Mm -hmm. But I think one word of... I need help. Yeah. Goes a really, really long way. Yeah. So I do think it's worth asking worth somebody. Yeah. yeah. And even if it's not the whole story, it's not like pouring your heart out to the first person that you see. It can just be like, hey, this thing happened to me. And, you know, if you want to, you can sort of, you know, graze around the edges. It doesn't have to be the full truth. Yeah. If you're embarrassed or you feel ashamed, which you shouldn't, but it's often the case, right? That you very feel, easy to yeah, that you feel very embarrassed and you feel guilty. That's okay. But just to tell a tiny bit of it to show that there is a problem, mm -hmm. I think is worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. You spoke about, um, when we were talking about the eating disorder about yeah. feeling feeling pride and how there were other things that you could do to feel pride in yourself and I guess yeah. that comes towards the end of the healing process mm -hmm. but I know that you make music for example yeah do you want to talk more about that I think that's that's yeah. a really nice thing that you do um yeah I I um <clears throat> yeah I got quite involved at a young age with music I grew up like playing the piano and the guitar um, and yeah, I've always really enjoyed music and songwriting. Um, and I remember there was a major phase in high school where I would like write song after song after song. Um, and it was, you know, it was great because I think that it really just helped me manage my own emotions. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like sort of manage the self-destructive habits that I had created. Yeah. Um, like the eating disorder, making bad decisions, like whatever it was, you know. Um, and I think I also was really um, obsessed with a song Till It Happens to You by Diane Warren and Lady Gaga um, because it was, it featured in a movie called uh, The Hunting Ground, which is a documentary mm -hmm. um, about um sexual assault and rape on college campuses in the US yeah which at the time of me too 
it was you know the the next biggest phenomenon that had to be talked about yeah um and I remember watching that not at 13 maybe at 15 when I was a bit a little bit older yeah um but that song was featured in it and I played it over and over and over again um and um luckily enough um I was privileged enough to meet Diane Warren, the the writer of the song through charity work that I had been doing. Um, and it felt like meeting someone that you have known so deeply but never have met. Mm -hmm. So it really felt like, wow, it's really come full circle. Um, and I I know I listened to a lot of music as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think a about some other things that I, you know, did to heal. I mean, yeah, I think anything that's creative, a creative outlet, something that you can sort of build on and control in that way, you know, like, <clears throat> and it doesn't have to go anywhere. Like I never published any of these songs yeah. anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, but something that you can like control the outcome of. Yeah. Like, I get to make this song. I get to make how it sounds like and yeah. all the rest of it. So I think if you're an artist or whatever it is, um, a writer, anything, I think even Camille was talking about how she really loved writing poetry. Yeah. And that was her sort of outlet. And I think you do need to find an outlet for anything in life, really. Um, but I think that putting these thoughts into words of any kind or into drawings or anything really is really important to sort of help yourself heal and I think it's the first step before moving on to other things um and I and I had been in therapy for like since that time right since I was 13 yeah but I think it only became productive mm -hmm. once I was able to formulate how I felt yeah and that didn't come until later right mm -hmm. like it was all these songs that I was writing and all these things that I was doing, writing, creative writing, whatever it was, that I could finally find my own voice to be able to actually constructively analyze like what had happened. Yeah. Um, do you do you actually have any recommendations on like healing? Is there anything that you do? For me, mine's always been journaling and I'm rubbish at journaling. You're meant to do it journaling. No, I love journaling. You're meant to do it every I'm single saying. day. I can't. The only times I journal mm -hmm. is when I'm feeling sad or I'm going me. through something and I just I'll open it and I'll just scroll <laughs> and I never read it back. Me. I just need to. When I was younger, I used to do this thing where I journal on a piece of paper, not even in a journal, and I just rip it up into shreds and then I'd put it in the bin and that was like wow. a release of emotions on the page and then that's a good one. Gone. And yeah. I couldn't I couldn't look at that again. And that was that was good for me. Yeah, that's a good recommendation, actually. Yeah, journaling's a good one. Mm. Gosh, I wish I could make music. I think that would be so cool. But alas, I used to write poetry when I was younger, actually. Rubbish poetry, really bad. But I'm also bad at poetry. That was also, it was just something to do. <laughs> You're right, it is gaining. It's also clarity of thought. I think sometimes it's in the process of putting something down on paper or like on a, in a painting or like you said, in song. Yeah. It is just, just clarifying what's in your head. And yeah. Yeah, and I think... And also, I mean, saying this at Oxford is kind of funny, but like even like academic validation, while it is toxic, it's also something else to channel oh, that gosh, energy into I you. Massively did that. Me yeah, too. That. Mm. And I think, yeah, even if it's that, like that's good enough, really, because anything else that will focus that energy into it is just is something good. Yeah, yeah and yeah. um, 
I think for me, like singing had always been a hobby of mine. So that's what I channeled all my energy into. But whatever that hobby is for you, like I think to hyperfixate on it is okay. And it's healthy. Honestly, if you're going through something that will strip away all the rest of your energy. No, yeah, I'm, I, I think that's such a valid point because I think a lot of the time you think it needs to be something like sit down and meditate. And sometimes actually sitting with your thoughts is not the best thing to do yeah. in these kind of situations. So even if it's just running, like go on a run or yeah, playing netball exercise. with your friends, yeah, anything. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish my creative outlet was exercise because it yeah. would help so much. I also did like a lot of volleyball in school. Yeah. Like literally from the age of 13, I started volleyball like really competitively. I think that was also great it kept me really active and outside the house and you know in a, in a place where I felt like I could control the outcome yeah and I was with people who would support me and I could support yeah so I think yeah just really choosing environments where you feel like you can thrive in is also important for for that sort of mental health post event yeah yeah I completely agree I think we might have covered it all yeah well I think we have so that draws the episode to mm. an end unless you've got any last advice you want to share or yeah and I think um there's this one last question here about like yeah. how to find closure ah uh, yes you kind of touched on that before. yeah and I think we kind of touched on it but just just one last thing to say is that you don't necessarily need closure yeah but I think there's a lot of different ways in getting closure and if you do at all in the whole span of your life at all like rethink oh my gosh I need closure on this subject yeah I think it's something to pursue yeah um because your mind will unravel if you feel like you haven't gotten that closure um and um and yeah and shout out to our new group called real talk yes if you do feel like you need closure or to talk to anybody we will be hosting the meetings once a month and we hope we hope some of you join I think it would yeah. be really good it's me Anastasia Camille and just a little chat like we've done today yeah and hopefully and it can, can be about anything really and and literally don't forget like if there's even a doubt in your mind that this was the case it most definitely probably was and so you know and even if and even if you know there are those doubts in your mind share them please do like I think it's really healthy to get a second opinion um and and if you at all feel doubt or violated like I said before or harassed or anything inside of you there's these emotions I think that's also a completely valid reason to please join if you feel comfortable enough you know to share your thoughts and even if it's not to speak you can just come and listen to us yeah you don't have to say anything we just we want you like ASMR (laughs) (laughs) yeah kind of yeah, I guess. <laughs> like us chatting off people's ears. Of course, us just yapping away. But yeah, yeah, I guess that is the end of today's episode. I hope you did enjoy it. And like Anastasia said, please, please do check out our yeah. new forum that we're setting up. Um, yeah. yeah, lovely talking to you. As yeah, usual. you too. Thank you for joining us, guys. And we will see you next week for a new episode. Bye. Bye.